Coming up on this week's episode of Filmology, we are rolling some dice while talking some fantasy films. All that and more coming up on this week's episode of Filmology. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. Everybody, welcome to the show. I am John Galarwitz, known as Johnny G, over at FilmologyShow.com. And on this week's episode, I am joined by Mike, Samantha, and Adam. Hi. Hello there. Hi. I mean, if we're going to Star Wars right now, I am pumped. I don't know if you meant to go to, like, the hello there, but I'm excited. that was a complete accident. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, that, that is more upsetting to me than, never mind, I am not excited. I think everyone needs to do their best hello there. Oh, I can't do that. Hello there. See, I didn't even get my own reference, personally, so I don't know how to emulate it. I was just so lost because you guys were talking about Star Wars all of a sudden, I didn't understand why either, so I was confused. <laughs> Wait, he went hello there, and whenever somebody says, why hello there, I think of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Me too. Me too. Apparently that's all it takes to get me to think about Star Wars. Okay, enough Star Wars talk, apparently. Um, How is everyone doing? I know, Adam, I don't know how the weather is over by you, but... A week ago, we were talking about how great it was. We had the windows open here, and it was so nice. And then we got hit with a foot of snow. And while it's really nice now, yesterday was miserable. And all of you yesterday in podcast terms is all relative. So hopefully by the time people are listening to this, it's nice. It's summer. We don't have to worry about snow. But Adam, how's, the, how's everything over with you? Um, well, I personally haven't had to go outside yet today, so I consider that a win in and of itself. But we did not have any snow here. We had a wind warning yesterday while I was driving around visiting friends and running errands, but uh, it was nothing super blustery or anything. I did hear a whole bunch of tornadoes came down yesterday, so nothing like that either. So just mild wind, and it was like chilly, not Cold, no snow, not below freezing. Nothing to complain about. Is it not 60 degrees where you are right now, Jonathan? Whoa. I mean, right now it is, but yesterday was miserable as somebody who had to be up at, excuse me, who had to be up at 3 a.m. and the roads weren't plowed, nothing, like it looked like the snowpocalypse out there. I saw nine cars in the ditch on my way to work. It was just a terrible morning. But, yeah. Mike, did, did you get the, the, the bad storm over there? Uh, it was snowing, but all the snow was gone for the most part yesterday. Wait, was gone? Your snow's already gone? Yeah, it, looks like, it doesn't even look like it happened. Lucky ducky. On this week's episode, we are going to be talking about Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and our top five is top five fantasy films in honor of Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. 
If you'd like to check out past episodes of the show, you can check out filmologyshow.com where we have written reviews like Coco, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, Pokemon Detective Pikachu, and Star Wars The Last Jedi. So written reviews all the way back to 2013. I also have top five top five lists over there, so if you guys want to go check out some fun top fives, add some more films to your ever-growing list of films to watch, that's a good place to head. Otherwise, Adam, are you excited to talk about some fantasy films? I know, like, you do play some D&D. I know that... Samantha, Mike, myself have all dabbled. Maybe, Samantha, you've done more than dabbling. Or it may, maybe, Mike, you've even done more than dabbled. I've dabbled. But I'm not, like, huge into the, what would you call, d and I, I call them, my view, a role-playing dice game. But I'm not really sure what the technical term is. Technical term, I believe, is a tabletop RPG. So TRPG, just because of how many different... Uh realms of rpgs there are now as well as like there's like jrpgs which would be like japanese rpgs i believe and then just so many other things so i believe DD would have probably almost been one of the original just rpgs but because there's so many other forms as i mentioned they've added the t now so tabletop playing game uh no but i uh i love this whole genre very into video games which are pretty much all fantasy games although some of my favorite games are like historical fiction war or historical like realist historical fiction war simulation games but aside from that fantasy games uh grew up reading so many different fantasy just novels or short stories all of that stuff love it all uh movies as well i feel like the like number one thing to get me to go into a movie theater is just a really good fantasy movie coming to town. So, love love all that stuff. All right, so you're the perfect person to have on this show. But before we get talking about Dungeons & Dragons, we always start off each episode of the show to talk about things that have inspired us to, to talk about stories. So whether that be a book, a movie, a TV show, a video game, things like that, we like to talk talk about it, tell people sometimes that they should go out to see it, or in my case, most of the time, it's telling people not to see it. This time, however, we're going to talk about something that I think everybody should see. For me, it was a rewatch. It was the, I believe it's the 2013 film, Philomena which uh, stars Steve Coogan and uh, Dame Judi Dench. Samantha, we, you watched this with me. And all I'm going to say, like, is those greedy bastard nuns. This is a film that she, she just glared at me. So. I did not glare. I just told you to be careful where you're walking. The thing which I like about this film, and Samantha found a poorly written review that I did that needed to be edited and everything like that, but uh, the, the, the core thesis of that review still stands. The thing that's great about this film is it doesn't actually answer the question of is there a God or isn't there a God. It lets the viewer make up their own mind. It lets you hear from both sides of the argument about why they believe in a higher power or why they don't. 
And that these are the kind of films that I personally like. Like this film, uh, things like The Exorcist, things that let you, as the viewer, make up your own mind about religion and higher powers of being and things like that. Versus, once again, as I just mocked a couple weeks ago, Jesus Revolution, which is not like that, which is kind of force-feeding and shoving things down your throat. There was nothing in this film that was shoving things down your throat. It's a very heartwarming story. Very sad also at the same time. But, I mean, Samantha, you, 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 you looked shocked there when I called it a heartwarming story. My heart wasn't warmed. It was sad. It is a sad story, but the connection that the two characters make is a heartwarming tale. Yeah. So. Are I, you going to tell the people what it's about? I didn't do that yet. No. So, <laughs> you just went on and talked about nuns, and that's all they know. Well, that's okay. That, that the nuns are evil, and I don't forgive them. So, uh, Judy Dench plays Philomena. She grew up as an orphan and at this, uh, what's it technically called? What'd she the grow Abbey. Up? The Abbey. Uh, with all these nuns. And she got pregnant because she was never talked, like the nuns never talked about reproductive rights or systems or anything like that. It was nothing that she was ever knew about. So she ends up getting pregnant. And the nuns have this system in which they sell all of the children who are born to girls at the Abbey uh, to, for the most part, as the film lets us know, uh, American families. And this is like in the 1950s. So... Not as easy to probably track down people as it would be like if it happened today in 2023. But uh, uh, Judy Dench, Philomena, is trying to find her son. Steve Coogan's playing an ex-reporter who kind of gets roped up and everything because he's trying to still be a reporter, trying to find a job, his footing. But he gets wrapped up in the story because he realizes there's a story here. And they later on find out that there is a story that the nuns flat out started a bonfire so nobody could know what bad things they were up to with the children. They completely neglected all these girls growing up in the abbey and this, the, the children who they were then selling and uh, have since basically what still neglecting they had any responsibility for it and that they didn't do it uh but the whole movie is about trying to find this lost son and about the connections that that son made while not being in your own life so once again it's about faith it's about family it's about a whole bunch of things that i think are very interesting to talk about and it's like i said it's, it's a very moving story uh, this was nominated for best picture that year it came out so 2013 or 2014 Highly recommend it. It's streaming on Netflix if you want to watch it. So, Samantha, what has been inspiring you this past week? So what I wanted to talk about is this game that Adam and I play 
Um, it's on Steam and I'm assuming some other platforms, but it's called We Were Here. It is a co-op puzzle game that you can play as long as you have two computers. So Adam and I live in different locations, but we're able to still hang out and touch base and play some puzzle games. Um, essentially the storyline is there, you and your partner are trapped in this castle and you have to help each other solve puzzles through your walkie-talkies um, to try and escape. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a fun game. I, I, Am I missing anything, Adam? Oh, no, like, that's honestly, like, what I look forward to at the end of the week, just being able to sit down and play with you for, uh, you know, for most of, <laughs> at least most of my Sundays and stuff. And just being able, it's like, it's something where we're able to talk if we don't have something we personally want to talk about, because obviously it's a communication game, which is, uh, is kind of unique because I know a lot of games nowadays, they're almost like, we're also, we're almost moving towards like even more single player games. And this one, this game is literally required to play with another person. The game won't start unless you have another person with you. And it's like, not necessarily like the hardest of puzzles where you have to be like, a riddle master or anything like that it's just something where it's like one person has the answers and the other person needs to know what the other person sees so it just shows you two different images and it's just like a communication game and it's a lot of fun to look forward to learn more about the story and then be able to interact with a good friend at the same time i've been trying to convince john and mike to try it as well so maybe sometime soon they'll be able to report back their findings as well yeah, I'm down. Whatever. Not whatever, but if I'm free, I'm down. 2 a.m. Saturday mornings. I'm not going to do that. Uh, Mike, what has inspired you this past week? Uh, I've been playing the Resident Evil 4 remake, and they took one of the best games uh, ever made. It's on a lot of lists that say top, game, top 100 games or whatever, and made it even better. So I've been super hyped, and I've been blowing through it pretty quickly. What system is are you uh, playing this on? I put uh, I'm playing the remake on the PC, but it's on like I'm sure it's on PS5 and Xbox as well. Uh, the original was on GameCube and pretty much every game console since then. I've never played a single Resident Evil game. I don't even think I've watched any of the movies. I have literally every single Resident Evil game ever made. Um, so if you ever want to play one. You've never even been to an arcade and played, like, the Resident Evil, like, at the big old-timey arcades where you get the gun to, like, infiltrate and stuff? I've played a Terminator version of that where I'm shooting Terminators. Silence. Oh. I was curious about the Resident Evil arcade game. I didn't know there was one. Uh, I don't know if they're... I, I really doubt they're the exact same thing, but I'm pretty sure they were at least called that. Where it's just like you're running around a hospital and you just shoot infected people as you're trying to make your way through it. Uh, think about how, I guess, closer to the movies worked. Just like, oh, look, you're trying to, like, find the antidote. And you just have to, like, run through and shoot things. Like any of those general arcade-style games. They probably just took the movie and then just made a run-and-gun kind of game off of it. Nope. Samantha is showing me what it the arcade game would have looked like and I have never seen that but 
I believe 1000% that it exists. I just haven't seen it. Right. It, Certainly it, it, I need to go hang out at Dave and Buster's more often. It would have been something very much like that Terminator game you played. So yeah, If you come visit me sometime, Jonathan, we can go to the arcade around here and we can play House of the Dead, which is similar to thematically to Resident Evil. So. Adam, what has inspired you over this past week? So the inspiration I've been drawing this past week to get through my work day uh aside from looking forward to playing these games with uh sam on the weekend have been uh revisiting an old book series from my childhood actually i'm not someone that usually goes and revisits books or even movies for that matter i usually have a uh, uh a good enough memory to recall things and then just I, I don't necessarily get the pleasure of like hashing the same thing over again. I get it just because I can remember it well enough that I'll start like getting bored and I'll like skip through and it loses some of the novelty of it. But running this new D&D campaign as the Dungeon Master, uh, I'm always looking for inspiration. I'm not the most uh, creative person in the bunch. So I use media that I've consumed as inspiration for what I'm going to have my players go through. And so I have recently started rereading all of the Del Toro quest books that uh, I read as a child. Not very long, but it's literally a D&D campaign as a series of books. It's like, oh no, the king has lost his gems to keep evil away. You have like a month to reclaim the gems or the kingdom will be overthrown. Travel to these seven locations. Defeat the boss in each location to acquire the gem and bring them back before evil reigns. It's literally it. The campaign is already written for me just from having already read the book. And it's just going to be uh, it's fun to revisit and get some nostalgia from a book I read when I was in third grade and uh then be able to uh secondhand give it off to my players so they can kind of experience it for the first time uh and then a fun little uh tidbit on top of all that was that i found out this book was made into a tv series that was like aired on like cartoon network australia so like I'm just learning more about this book series I read over the course of probably two months as a child and then just now uh, got back to it. And as as I'm looking at it here, uh, there is also all the Del Toro Quest Nintendo DS game that was made just in uh, Japan. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the book covers here and I remember seeing these because they're uh they were published in the United States here by uh, Scholastic, and I remember seeing them in those like uh, those those the book fairs, those traveling book fairs. And I remember seeing these, and I've never read them, but now if we, I'm actually like gonna go to the library and check them out. I don't know; they they look interesting. Obviously, they're not books I would generally like search out but maybe you have like a sense of nostalgia here i should go check them out (laughs) yeah oh yeah no very much they would have been a perfect fit for that scholastic especially that age group they're very fun like what i would have called like popcorn reads they're not they're they're not engaging they're not 
breakthroughs in literature. No, these are three guys that are going on a quest to save the kingdom. They are going, you, you know exactly how the story's going to end, how it will progress. And like from the, from page one, you're, you're literally told the point of the series page one. And then you just kind of get to see how it unravels from there. Still sounds very interesting. And maybe even enough to go check out the anime uh, if I can find a good way to watch it. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested in seeing how it compares once I've reread the books. So, yeah, we're just talking about how I don't expand my horizons. I don't want to promise I'm going to be checking out this book series anytime soon or the anime, but they sound appealing enough that I'll put them towards the top of my list of things to get to. Uh, at least, you know put the books on hold at the library and get the first one at least. Samantha, are you checking to see if you can actually watch the anime? Yeah, I'm looking on a couple of the anime websites I know. Any um, luck so far? Well, the first one I checked, Crunchyroll does not have it. Alright, so we are going to get into the meat of the episode here. Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. So here is the trailer for Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Here's the thing. We're a team of thieves. And when you do this, you're bound to make enemies. Sometimes those enemies come looking for revenge. Truth be told, we help the wrong person steal the wrong thing. We didn't mean to unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known. But we're gonna fix it. So how do we pull that off? Uh... Figure it out over a drink? Probably best. You need A charming thief in a band of unlikely adventurers undertake an epic heist to retrieve a lost relic but things go dangerously awry when they run afoul of the wrong group that is the plot synopsis for dungeons and dragons honor among thieves as i mentioned earlier like myself personally i have only dabbled in dnd would never call myself a great player. I get the terminology wrong all the time. So going forward here, I'll probably mess things up a lot. But I'm still excited for this movie. It's directed by the duo who directed Game Night, which was one of my favorite films of that year. It's, I think, one of the best comedies in the past like 10 years. I was excited to see what they're going to do with this fantasy world. Also has some great actors in it. Has the... Actually, really quick. This is, this is going to be very important to this whole conversation. I would like everybody to go through and rank the Chris's. I will start. Number one, Chris Evans. Number two, Chris Pine. Number three, Chris Hemsworth. Number four, 
Chris Pratt. Mike, how would you rank the Chris's? Uh, my number one Chris is a Chris Hay I worked with at uh, a grocery store in high school. He is pretty cool. And then Chris Evans would be number two. And that's where I stop my list. Really? <laughs> no, no love for Chris Pine. I honestly have okay. never thought about ranking the Chris's before. So this is like a daily like thing that keeps me up at night. Like, what order are the Chris's in? So it's like that meme uh, where the guy or the guy and the woman are laying in bed, and like Samantha was like laying in bed thinking, "I bet he's thinking about other girls," but really thinking about Chris Evans or other Chris's. I, I, I'm I'm <laughs> contemplating their future, their movies. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> The answer's yes. All right, Adam. How do you rate your the Chris's? I didn't know I was supposed to have a rating of Chris's. Yeah, I know. John likes to throw curveballs. I would like to point out that this is something that everybody needs in their life. Like, you keep it in your wallet. Oh, really? My wallet's kind of full right now. Um, I'm well, just going to steal my, your wine. But because I have to be original, I'm just going to swap Pine and Evans and call it a day. We're stealing We're stealing John's wallet? Is that what I got out just now? I, I, I'll take that you as well. It. It's very personalized. You don't want it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I'll just say Pine, Evans, Hemsworth, Pratt. Samantha, you're grading. Mine goes Pratt, Evans, Hemsworth, Pine. You put Chris Pratt on top? Yeah. <laughs> I love Star-Lord. I love Parks and Rec. I love it. He's got big golden retriever puppy dog energy. Then he's in Jurassic World, which is just awful. Yeah, I didn't list that. I know, it really ruins it. It really puts a taint on it. Point being, I think overall we've all said we love Chris Pine. Minus the person who said Chris Pratt was the best, which we don't, you know. And Jonathan. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about Chris Pratt. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was beautiful. I thought we, that was... Apparently we're doing a rendition if we don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I, me and Sam have been doing that way too much today. I'll try to reel it in. Yeah, we sang for like six hours while doing puzzles. <laughs> You gotta whistle while you work, and we gotta sing while we puzzle. So Chris Pine was one of the big reasons why I was excited for this movie. And keep in mind, he's like done almost like every like geek genre of film. He's been in DC films. He's voiced Spider-Man and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. He was in Star Trek. He was in Star Trek, correct. He played... Uh, he played, I was going to say Spock. I almost went and said Spock. He played Kirk. And I would argue that he's probably better than Shatner as Kirk. Oh, definitely. That's not hard to beat. Yet you had him as your least favorite Chris. Yeah, well, Shatner is definitely below all of the Chris's. I think that you don't understand the greatness of William Shatner in that role. I think you need to go back and watch. It's pretty bad. He overacts. It's terrible. I mean, yeah. That's the that's the greatness of it. If it makes you feel better, I think Chris Pine 
has the best eyes out of the four. Does that make you feel better? I wasn't rating their eyes. Does it make you feel better? It makes me feel a little better, personally. I, I'm, okay, I, it, I'm glad to know he's on the top of one of your lists, at least. Yeah. This movie was really good. That's not, like, for me, I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's good. It's enjoyable. But I'm going to kind of just throw this out there to, to the group. Is there anything in particular that makes this a Dungeons and Dragons movie versus a generic fantasy movie? Well, so the fun thing about D&D, I would say, is that uh, it's it's more of like a rule set for how to apply it to a fantasy realm. Like that, that's the whole point of like homebrew is which homebrew is just something you create in of yourself and is not like quote unquote, like standard official out there. So like technically you could imagine like any fantasy as just people playing Dungeons and Dragons at a table. And so that's kind of the brilliance of this as well. And I really hope doesn't make people shy away from this movie is that they never, I I guess only in like two accounts in the entire movie, do they like explicitly reference like a Dungeons and Dragons thing, which is like two of the classes of the characters. But outside of that, it is just a story that happens to have a lot of flavor if you're familiar with Dungeons & Dragons that make it even more entertaining. I'm going to let everybody go, uh, actually, really quick, just kind of in our virtual roundtable of Samantha go, and then Mike, and then Adam, just with uh, their initial impressions before I ask more questions. But, uh, Samantha, your initial initial thoughts here on uh, Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. I really liked it. In general, I like high fantasy stories, and I felt that this had some fun characters to follow. It was lighthearted, had some jokes that had me laughing really hard. Um, Yeah, I just really liked it overall. My initial thoughts were uh, it was really fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's best when Chris Pine is on the screen and um, the paladin. I don't know the paladin's actor's name how to pronounce that so i'm not even gonna try oh, he's the guy from bridgerton what he's the guy from bridgerton uh, when the guy from bridgerton is on screen um and when chris pratt <laughs> or chris pine so many chris's today oh no or <laughs> on screen that is what i far what was best and the funniest although um the tefling uh the girl from it can't remember her name right now where did it go uh, and the Sorcerer were also pretty good. Um, they just didn't quite live up to the other two guys. Uh, I, Michelle Rodriguez did okay. I, it seemed kind of stiff, but that just might have been her character. Isn't that just Michelle Rodriguez? Maybe, yeah. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen anything with Michelle Rodriguez in it. Good thing we got Fast and the Furious coming up. Yeah, good thing. Yay. Uh, I'm busy that week, so I can't watch that one. I also enjoyed, like, the references to things that use the D&D system. Like, they talked about Bullet Gate, Bullet's Gate. Um, like, Neverwinter is a game, too. I don't know if it's setting in some D&D world or something, but I know it's a video game that's based off D&D. Yeah, it was... That nice Easter eggs for 
uh, for people who are into RPGs and things like that. And it was, I feel, I took it with two people who don't do that, and they still really enjoyed the movie. Um, they just didn't catch those references. So overall, I think it, I thought it was great. I will jump in quick and say, for Michelle, she played a barbarian character. And in general, in D&D, those characters are really strong. You know, they can they can take a lot of hits, but they have really low charisma usually. So it's almost like her awkwardness was playing into her character's general stereotype of not, like, never saying the right thing, but being able to beat up a bunch of things. So I felt it actually worked for her character that she was playing. Yeah. Uh, it just felt a little flat sometimes, but I agree. And she did have that nice little side plot, I suppose, with um, when she returned home, I guess. I don't with a great it. cameo. What? With a great cameo uh, from uh, from an actor who I don't want to spoil because it, it, it uh, takes away from some of the joke. Yeah, we're talking about the same thing. Adam, your initial thoughts on Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. I I loved it actually 100% uh, all around. I have been I was very hesitant because of some of the uh, like other try like attempts at adaptations of games or video games out there. I'm personally not the largest fan of comedies as well, and I was very very impressed. All of the jokes that they were trying to say, I felt like hit the right note not making like condescending jokes or like making fun of the material, but just like actual things that could probably happen and probably have happened to someone out there it, it, when it comes to playing the game. It also reminds me of the fact that like uh, this movie was kind of always moving forward. It was light fun and it, it didn't try to become long just to try to tell a story. It seemed like there was always kind of a purpose and the movie was always kind of moving towards something. There wasn't just random pauses or anything like that, which I very much enjoyed. It almost like took our time into account where they're like, hey, we're going to tell you this story and you're going to have a good time, but we're not going to make you sit here for 40 extra minutes or whatever that if they wanted to make it a three hour long film or something like that. Not to spoil our conversation we're going to have in a bit, but it wasn't like watching the extended cut of Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, where my time was not considered at all, and I had to watch. You also picked the extended cut, so that's on you, buddy. Some people believe that's the only cut, so I don't know what you're saying there. You broke it there in a bit. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, look, the thing that was really great about this Dungeons & Dragons movie was... When they are making jokes, it's in a sincere way. And like you said, it's never making fun of this world. Because, I mean, there's a, ton, like, there's a ton of people who make fun of d and I mean, maybe not as much now. But even, like, looking at things like the Big Bang Theory or Freaking Geeks or things like that, like, 10, 20 years ago, people would have just been making fun of D&D. But now I think it's becoming more accepted into pop culture and things like that. And I think this film was a like, giant combination of that. But Because that, that would mean that they, this is the end of it. I don't know if this is going to be the end of it. I mean, if we're looking at box office-wise, maybe. I mean, it's not, it's not like a giant blockbuster. But it's going to do well, relatively well enough. I would be okay seeing these characters again, seeing another quest that they have to go on. I think that would be a lot of fun. 
It actually reminds me of uh, the Warcraft movie. And this is a hundred times better than that Warcraft movie. Like, that Warcraft movie was just kind of a mess. It was so built on the lore where I had such a hard time following what was going on. And this one, while doing exposition dumps at the beginning of the film, Chris Pine was just, you know, he had to wait for Jonathan. We had to make sure that Jonathan was there before we could continue with the story. So, I understand that. Like, even the point of giving the exposition, there's still a joke behind why they are being so long-winded with it. I will say that the Jonathan joke, I think, is the greatest joke in the entire movie, and I think it's my absolute favorite thing. The Chris Pine. He's having a glitch, basically. I mean, it's not a glitch, but... Yeah, the the spell. The spell. Yeah. That was good. I thought that was really funny. Or the graveyard. Oh, the graveyard. (laughs) I mean, my one, like, big con against this movie would be that the trailers gave away way too much for joke wise like the plot i i still really didn't know what was going to happen walking into the film i'm like okay i have no clue what's going on but the jokes i mean that graveyard scene was in the the trailer i mean not the whole thing but the setup to the joke at least was and so going to your point about saying you would be interested in a second film, I would be interested in a second film and they don't even, and the beauty of D and D is they wouldn't even have to reuse any of the same characters. Like they wouldn't have to have it relate to the first film at all. Uh, if this falls poorly and like, they don't want to use those names as a draw for the second film, they could just have a whole set of new characters and present a whole new kind of timeline using that as like inspiration, if you will. I know that might be a little different for like how movies are normally run in of itself, but like, that's just like the wide breadth that is Dungeons and Dragons, I guess. So that's like, if if you were telling me, Hey, we're going to make an anthology TV show. I'd be all in on that for movies. It becomes a lot harder because I mean that that's not really how movies work nowadays. It's all based on, Hey, franchise IP, these characters returning for future installments until they become irrelevant. Um, I almost feel like Knives Out tried to attempt that, except they have at least one character that stays the same, but they changed the rest of the people. So I feel like they could try and do something like that, be like, oh... You know, this character pulled the best, so they're going to have a different adventure over here with a new set of, a new team. Well, then let me ask you, which character, which one character would you pick from this film to go on another quest? I mean, for me, it's Chris Pine, because it's Chris Pine, but his story is pretty much wrapped up. Yeah, so because of that, I would pick the Druid. The ending definitely left, like, told you what the sequel is going to be, though, if they make a sequel. Did it? Yeah. It would be a spo- spoiler if I said it, but, like, they straight up was like, oh, this guy's still there. Hopefully he doesn't come after us. Did I did I miss something? Yeah. I thought this was, like, one of the things which I loved about this movie was it's so wrapped up. Like, there's nothing here that I'm like, man, there's dangling threads out there. Like, I, I, I thought this was a very self-contained movie that, yes, we can go on more adventures if we so choose. 
But there's there's not a cliffhanger that I'm like, man, I'm devastated that I'm not going to know how what goes on with these characters. That the beauty of a one shot essentially is what they would call it in D and D. The people came together, they performed one mission, and then like that's where it goes. Yeah, but they there's like the bad guy in the film, the movie was working for someone. Like, do you remember that part? Yeah, I do. Yeah, and in the end, they're like, that guy is still out there. What a dude. The main bad person in this movie is just a worker bee. Yeah. Does that make sense, John? So, what Mike is saying is that theoretically, you could be like, alright, next up, it's the big bad. You're talking about the head red wizard guy, right? Yeah. Chris, like, Chris Pine's character even, like, names him and says, like, I don't remember the exact line anymore, but it was very much like, this is what's going to happen next, probably. I guess it didn't bother me at all while watching it. I mean, I honestly thought through, because you only see that character in a flashback and then one other scene. I think that we could have seen the character in the flashback, cut the other scene, and then I didn't, I don't. I don't think that we would have needed to even be having this discussion. I will tell you that I agree with Adam that the druid could have more to do, more activism point of view. Um, But my personal favorite was Simon the Wizard. I feel like he could have more of his, his family back history or him trying to learn different magic stuff. I think that could also be interesting potentially. Thinking more, I was thinking the paladin. The Bridgerton man. Yeah. He could have he could have something else. Like he could be a common thread where he now interacts with a new partying group in of itself and provides his assistance being the character he is. I could see that happening too because he was an interesting character. He was kind of a blip in the movie, but like you could easily follow him to where he walked off to after that point. Considering he's the one that like he was never fully part of this group's story, so he could then lead you to another group having a story, and then another group having their story, and how he has touched all of the other groups. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, once again, I'm, I'm all for the Chris Pine, because I want Chris Pine in more movies. But yeah, talking, story-wise, he's kind of done. I don't th- I don't, I, there's nobody here who I actively want to see like in a sequel. And th- my one big thing that I was basically just like completely afraid of walking in was we were going to get like a Lego movie scenario where light into the third act, they cut away from these characters and it's just a group of people at a table rolling dice. I'm really happy it didn't do that. Does anyone have anything else they want to say about Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves? I mean, I have so much I want to say, but I don't know how much we want to get into. Oh, you can go ahead and say it. Well, actually, I do have one quick question. Did you watch the 2000s version of Dungeons & Dragons? I did not know this existed, so no. Okay. Is that the don't one with Marlon Williams don't and Jeffrey Irons? Yes, that one. I watched it in, like, 2000 or whenever it came out. Yeah, uh, I put it on... Trying to be like, yep, I'm going to be able to come to the podcast. I'm going to be able to talk about it. I had to turn it off. Actually, I was the one who turned it off. It made me very annoyed. 
<laughs> I could not sit through it. Everything about it's bad. Yeah. I remember Jer- Jeremy Irons being kind of int- like just chewing the hell out of the scenery and that being kind of entertaining at least. But he was in a completely different movie. It's it's doesn't belong in this movie. We haven't even mentioned Hugh Grant actually in this current movie. I think he's having fun. I mean, he's earning his paycheck. He's having fun. Did you guys see that weird little "Hey, thank you for coming to the movies" thing at the beginning? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you paid attention to Hugh Grant there, but he clearly was like, "I really don't want to be sitting here right now. Why am I sitting here? Who's making me?" I don't know. The rest of them were like, yeah, okay, I, I can at least fake my way through this. Hey, thank you for coming to a movie while you're at the movie. I don't know. It's a weird little campaign. I've never understood it. Yeah. This is the second time I've seen something like that. Oh, it was in front of Scream. As, I think it's in, a lot of, in front of a lot of movies lately that I've been going to. Yeah, it feels it, like it at least. I, I hate it. I mean, streaming's so common now that they're trying to be like, no, no, come to the theater. Please. Adam, you have some more thoughts on Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I mean, I mean, kind of going off everything we've said, on top of the fact that you were glad they didn't shoot back to just people sitting at a table playing this with their character sheet and all that stuff. Uh, I will say, even with the movie, the ending they did pick, kind of uh, watching it happen, I had a moment where I just kind of realized exactly what choices were going to be made i would say it was kind of very predictable in that sense but i don't know what kind of alternative ending they could do it was just like my only my that would be my only detraction from the movie was that they kind of wrote themselves into a corner and there was only one way out of it so it was kind of like uh, i kind of lost a little bit at the end there just because i kind of had already seen the end of the movie before it came on screen personally for me i'm kind of rolling my eyes at the sentimental sentimental like ending that they're trying to go with but as we talked about in other shows that's not really a bone i have in my body body that's that sentimental sometimes i do samantha and she's (laughs) judging me with this look if you're gonna be sentimental it would be me who sees it i suppose I, I like it when it's earned. This movie does, like, as much as I, I enjoy it, I'm having fun with it. The end of the movie, I'm like, man, you're really trying to have a lot of heart here. I see what you're doing. It's not moving me personally, but I I, I, I commend you for trying. It's going to work on some people. I feel like trying to move you emotionally is trying to, like, move a house. Like, just push, punching into it, though, sometimes. Just say. <laughs> I I would like to sh- just point out that Philomena moved Jonathan. Not to tears, but it, I mean it moved the me. first time you told me you cried a bunch. Oh, because of how just despicable these nuns are. <laughs> anyway, these you hear him nuns. now. Philomena moved him. Everyone go see Philomena. So I should correct my statement. It's like trying to move a house, except for sometimes there's a tornado helping you just randomly. It feels like like this random movie. It's like, this made me cry. And I'm like, what are you talking about? 
That, that was what I feel like when we talked about the movie In the Heights. Everyone's like, what are you talking about? You're crying. I'm like, I've seen this movie six times. I've cried every time. It is just the best time I could have at the theater. And then nobody agrees with me. That's just absurd. But, uh, for this movie, Dungeons and Dragons, I don't know what you do other than, hey, we're having a giant, little, not giant, but a little battle here at the end. Because, I mean, that's, isn't that kind of what you do in a D&D campaign? You all, like, band together to fight against the bad guy? Oh, for sure. You always have... I will say, it's not always. Every single person runs their own campaign their way and how they've agreed they want to do it. I have heard of campaigns that are entirely, like, subterfuge things, where there's actually very little combat. It's everyone working behind the scenes to, like, uncover it. Like, think of, like, a noir detective movie, where that's just kind of how it is and you have to come up with clues and like prevent something from happening so there'd be very little combat but yeah no i would say more common than not is this kind of big fight at the very end which is common and it makes for it just sticks to the the source material and as i mentioned earlier i'm not usually one to repeat things but i'm very interested in getting this uh when it comes out to be able to watch scenes over again and just like pause scenes like figure out exactly how that would all relate to like the original given source material. I think they did a really good job though of solving uh, the conflicts instead of just fighting all the time, like different ways that a D and D group would, like the reverse heist, like in the middle where they have to try to get. Um, oh, for sure, they could they could fight to get on, but they know they're probably gonna lose, so they have to come up with an alternative plan. Yeah, that's a brilliant point, Mike. Which, yeah, I mean, once again, the Chris Pine character, I mean, that's what he's doing. He's coming up with the plans. I mean, there's somebody in every D&D group who's like, yep, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do it. He goes through it. They go through everything. And then there's people like me who are like, yep, I'm just here. I'd be like the barbarian character. Like, yep, just give me something. I'm going to go whack somebody with it. Yeah. I, the, the more I think about this movie, the more I'm actually enjoying it. And the tie back slightly, um, when you said they didn't really make fun of D&D too much, but I think, like, the bridge scene, when the paladin was explaining the rules of the bridge, it was kind of making fun of, like, DMs who, like, get way overcomplicated with it sometimes. And it wasn't, like, mean fun, it was just kind of like, like, hey, when this happens, ha ha ha. No, I, I, I can agree with that. I mean, I don't think it's, like, meant to be in mean spirit, though. I think that the majority of the players, at least, would... Like, yes, know somebody like that, but I don't think it's in mean spirit, which uh, I can imagine a movie like this coming out and just being completely cruel to everybody, which was what I was afraid of when I was walking in. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want that. And that's why I'm so happy that I didn't get that. Yeah. And see, that's almost a joke that like people can relate to. They're like, Hey, you know, when this happens, like, you're like, yeah, I know when that happens. And so you can like laugh about a shared experience. It's not necessarily like making fun of the content to the point. It's just like a way it tends to arise, I guess. Like, here's the lore dump, and then there you go. Or like, here's this. And it's just like something that has to happen almost. But I think we've kind of wrapped up our thoughts here. But here at Phomology, we do a rating system. We do see it, rent it, which Mike might be, tra- might be changing to stream it. 
Oh, yeah. Reluctantly. I'm never say, saying rent it again, Jonathan. It is stream it from now on. We are joining the 21st funny, century, Jonathan. We're saying stream it. <sighs> I've had this system since 2013. It's going to be hard for me to give that up. But um, I wasn't even renting things in 2013. Family video was a thing gone by then for sure. Probably not, but still. As somebody who still goes out to actually buy physical media, this hurts me. Uh, once again, rent it, stream it, skip it, or let it burn. Let it burn means that everybody involved with the film, from the producers to the caterers, should be put into film purgatory and not be allowed to make a film again for a good long while. My rating for Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, is a see it. This is a great... High adventure film, full of comedy, characters who are likable, and you want to get to know more, see their adventures, and just see how they... I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler that they're going to succeed, but see how they succeed. That's the fun part of this film, is watching them figure out all these puzzles, and figuring out all these different clues, putting them together, and just having a great time at the theater. And uh, there is a mid credit scene... Which I think is enjoyable. I mean, it's pretty. It's a pretty obvious mid credit scene, but it's still fun to watch. Samantha, your rating for Dungeons and Dragons. My rating is go see it. I like to give that rating to a lot of action or fantasy themes because I feel like it's um, better to be surrounded by the sound and really be in it. As well as it was great, lighthearted fun, and I would love a second one. Mike, your rating. My rating is to see it, and I hope uh, we get a sequel that continues the story. Adam, your rating. Oh, unequivocally, uh, see it. There was, yeah, all around fun times to be had with this film. I think this is like the first time that we've all been like kind of on the same wavelength with the film. Like, John Wick, we weren't on the same wavelength. Shazam! Mike definitely wasn't on my wavelength. But here, we're all, we're all kind of on the same wavelength. And In all fairness, though, this is the first time all four of us have reviewed a movie before, though. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> but, and, uh, like... Adam brings peace. Adam Hicks pieces. I mean, <laughs> and I would like to point out the past three movies that we've reviewed, I've given a see it to every one. And people You're tell me soft, I'm too negative. Jonathan. Wait, not you did not. You did not give a see it to Rent Horizon. Wasn't no, that? No, 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 <laughs> no, no but, but the films that are in theaters right now Shazam, Fury of the Gods, John Wick, Chapter 4. And now Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. I've given to see it to all three of them. And sadly, I've seen the box office for some of these films and people are not going out to see them. No. I honestly could see this being one of the best like video game slash any sort of game adaptation movies out there. I don't think it's better than Scott Pilgrim oh versus the world. But... That's I not a video game movie. We've talked about this, Jonathan. <laughs> It is one of the best video game movies of all time. Please. 
if you agree or disagree with any of our thoughts on Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, you can email us at filmologyshow at gmail.com. We're going to play the trailer here for The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and we'll be back on the other side to talk about that film. The eye of the enemy is moving. The end has come. Every day, Frodo moves closer to Mordor. How do we know Frodo is alive? What does your heart tell you? Come, Master! Test. Every path you have trod through wilderness, through war, has led to this road. The enemy will never let Aragorn come to the throne of Gondor. It is time. Give him the sword of the king. Become who you were born to be. Aragorn is revealed as the heir to the ancient kings as he, Gandalf, and the other members of the Broken Fellowship struggle to save Gondor from Sauron's forces. Meanwhile, Frodo and Sam take the ring closer to the heart of Mordor, the Dark Lord's realm. I don't know how to, like... Really talk about Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, because this is a film that is now celebrating its 20th anniversary. It was one of the most decorated films at the Academy Awards that year. And I think everyone has seen this film. But all the same, here we are to talk about trying to talk about this film. Before we get going, which version did everybody watch? Samantha and I watched the overlong four and a half hour cut of this film, the extended cut. I watched the one that was only three and a half hours long. That's the one I watched as well. I went on to Amazon and watched it. I do not, I don't own a TV at my new place and my parents own my copy of the uh, DVD. So wasn't able to just put it in, so... I have a DVD of it, but I don't own a media player, a physical media player at all, apparently. I have a DVD drive in my computer, so... No, I don't. I have a PS3. I don't actually own the theatrical cut of this film. I only own the extended cut, so even if I was going to... But we don't need to get into that. Anyway, the the first thing I'm going to say here really quick is... The theatrical cut should be the preferred version of this film for a lot of reasons. Obviously, it's adding an extra hour to the running length of an already very long film. And my other really big sticking point is... You guys might have to correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been ages since I've actually watched the theatrical cut of this film. But my memory is that... But my memory is that when Aragorn 
goes to talk to I, 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 once again I'm sorry I can't remember the exact names and terms here but the ghost king when he goes to talk to him I think he's just literally called the king under the mountain is it in the theatrical cut he's like will you join me and then it cuts from that and then the next time you see them they're all showing up at uh, the battle of uh, Pelennor Fields it's more like Legolas like shoots an arrow goes through him and the king's like I do what I want yo and then Aragorn's like check out my sweet sword and he's like oh and then it cuts yeah he, he, he gives a pretty long speech I'd say to like try to convince them to do it and then what don't after that scene I thought they splice away to Frodo and Sam even climbing the steps I think so and they do but the, the, what I'm saying here is the extended cut actually takes away from that suspense of did they join or not and are they going to show up at, at the battle because there's two scenes well, there's number one where you see them and they're like nope we are going to join you they actually hit come in and actually say we're going to join and then there's a second scene where you see them take over the bolts and I'm like wow all that suspense of this great entrance of oh crap all doom is here we don't know how we're going to succeed watching the extended cut you you would a thousand percent know that there's no reason to worry about anything and that's I think that takes so much of the tension away from the film. Samantha, did you have that same issue that I had? Well, my issue is that I confused who the boat people were with the elephant people. So I was like, oh. Um, and Jonathan's just like, those would not fit on the boats. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. I'm still. That would have been so much cooler, though, if like the three of them jump off and they're like, we're not worried about this because our giant elephants crash through the boats. <laughs> That would have been baller. <laughs> I would have got excited. I'm not going to lie. So the suspense was there because I got lost in my own mind. <laughs> the, the, the biggest issue that, Samantha, I think you have, and that in general, the biggest issue with this, is this is meant to be one giant story. And we are just looking at the climax of that story. So, like, that clan of people with the elephants and everything, they show up in the two towers. So they're set up, yeah, and it went over your head, but... Nothing goes over my head because I will catch it. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Great work there, Batista. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's even funny because people at home don't know this, but Sam's like four and a half feet tall. So it's... <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I am a hobbit, I guess. Nothing wrong with being a hobbit. Uh, yeah, basically, what what are everyone's thoughts of here? I guess I, we've we've been talking for about ten minutes here about Lord of the Rings. I've been going on a rant, but what are everyone's thoughts here about Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King? Like coming in, what are your memories of this film? Did you enjoy it, and do you still enjoy this film? So I want to pose a question as we're about to start this: Who is the king of The Return of the King? Was I? Oh, I, I, I beg to differ. I believe it's Sam finally returning back to Hobbiton. I mean, he is returning. Sam has returned from his quest to get his uh, snobby uh, baby uh, friend 
to uh, Mount Doom, and now he is returning back uh, a great hero. But not a king. They don't have... The, oh, they're no. a democracy. They don't have a monarchy. They elect they their mayors. mayors. They yeah. have mayors and stuff. So it's Return he, of the he, Mayor. He, 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 is not, he is not the position king, but he is returning much greater in status. Now. It, it, it's like current slang, like you go king, that kind of king. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have a tangent, if we want to do a tangent. Oh, sweet. All right, so going off of your opinion of Frodo... For the longest time, I did have a crush on Frodo. And as I aged, I mean, he has great blue eyes as well. Like, really intense. Gotta love it. But as I age, I realize, is that really the person you want in life? And then you kind of lean a little bit to Aragorn, and you're like, ah, yeah, rough and tumble, kind of gruff, nice. And then you truly age into enlightenment, and you think, Sam... Sam is the best. He's there for you. He cares about your needs. He's literally your ride or die. So I agree that Sam is a let's go king, but I think if we're looking at an honest king, it'd be Aragorn. I, I, I don't disagree with uh, Sam being a hero, but I feel like it's unfair to Frodo to be like, oh, that whatever you said, I forgot already, sorry. Um, but he carried that ring for most of the journey, and it's very clearly stated that it's hard it's like a huge mental burden to carry that ring you see what happens to Gollum, you see what happens to uh bilbo even later in life he still wants that ring even though it's been however many years like frodo's a hero too he just had a huge burden and he carried it well and, and you know until he made all of the wrong decisions in every film but he got it there For, until like yeah until the end he Broke, but then that's what your friends are for though it's team effort <laughs> or enemy effort i'm saying if roles reversed i don't think sam would have done any better i don't think i think the two of them helped each other to get there yeah. and it, all i'm all i'm saying is that i don't think frodo would have protected sam the same way sam protected frodo i disagree uh, when sam storms the, the keep, the orc keep at the end of that movie, I say if their roles were entirely reversed, I don't think I've ever seen Frodo actually defend himself. Himself, let alone a friend. The entire story. And this is even going all the way back to the Fellowship of the Ring. It's because he has the burden of the ring that he's dealing with. He, he doesn't have the extra energy. At, at that point, he's had the burden of like a month. Sam's just hanging out, let's be honest. He's just like chilling out most of the time. And he's like, oh, we're going off of Bell and I can help you here. Because he's been, he's been chilling since then. Chilling on lack of water, lack of food, homesick. Yes, he might not have the f mental burden, but he is more than physically capable. He's pretty much just playing Survivor for a while, and he's fine. How does it feel, John, to not be the one arguing? <laughs> I'm enjoying this. I thought Jonathan actually got electrocuted, and I got worried for a second. <laughs> okay, so so review, I think, I mean, as much as we can go on about all these minor nuances, it just speaks to the greatness of the film in of itself, where it has, you would call this, if it was a smaller film, a cult following of how dedicated and in-depth some of the people know about these films. Like, I'm, I'm sure... This is almost common knowledge, but like how big of a fan like Stephen Colbert is of these things. And he's like memorized the Silmarillion and they'll get like 
Tolkien like researchers that like advise on the films and they'll like quiz each other and they'll just like know all the answers back and forth. It's 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 too big to have just call it a cult following and like I have friends, personal friends even, that you could be like, Oh, you, you said you got confused with the like Corsairs and the people from the south, the Herodrims, but they like know those characters' names even. And it's just like it, it just talks to how well done uh, the movies are that it inspired people to follow it. I agree with you. Uh, but I have a question. Not really dealing with the film, but kind of. Actually, really quick. Has everybody here read the book? I know Samantha has not. Mike and Adam, have you guys read the book? Back in high school. I read The Fellowship and The Two Towers, and then I got halfway through the return of the king they started going on and on about just like life in ministerith and like the way it's set up and like he starts talking to like a soldier on the wall uh mary i believe at that point and i i i just read them back to back to back and i got a little burnt out and i never made it back yeah i mean the, the, the best the best and worst thing about tolkien is that he was a linguist and cared so much about the world building of it but he really let that get in his own way at points uh, more so with other works than the Lord of the Rings but a spoiler alert for a book that is what 80 years old at this point it's like 90 isn't it well in the book Return of the King the Hobbits return to the Shire and it's completely destroyed Saruman is there and he's enslaved the Hobbits it, it, all that green lush land is just gone. I think that the, your take there, Adam, about this being the return of the king being Sam, well, obviously the movie here at the end is trying to tell me that this whole thing is Sam's journey. More than Frodo's, I don't think that we would be having that same reading if the original ending of the book... I mean, that's not like the, the end end, but... I don't think we'd be. I don't think we'd be in that same vibe if they showed up and they're like, "Cool, we went on this epic quest. It took a lot out of us, and we still kind of failed." Uh, I'm pretty sure they win the Battle of the Shire, though. They do win the Battle of the Shire, but the Shire, the Shire is still destroyed. Like, I mean, yes, they got their land back, but it's this war-torn land that that's going to take generations to resemble the land that they grew up in, the land that they love, the land that they were fighting for. Uh, I, I don't remember. Could you imagine, though, the movie getting to that point and they're like, now nah, we have another hour left, guys. That'd be... Yeah, we, we now have to fight for the Shire. Yeah. Like, everybody call back Aragorn and Legolas. Bring in the riders of Rohan, because let me tell you, the open fields of the Shire, are gonna, they're just going to love this. You know, Gondor, they're having some problems right now. Like, that would be exciting. People complained about how long the ending already took. And then they'd be like, nope, let's do this again, guys. They would have hobbited it, and just the entire last movie is actually just the Battle of the Shire. They would have made it awful, is what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it would have. A tough but blow. I feel like it would have been better done at that time period than some of those other movies, so. Also, yeah, obviously I agree. I, I'm happy that they didn't do this ending. Um, I don't think the film had too many endings. I think that 
maybe if we're just looking at it here as I guess we are as a piece of once again the climax of the story but if you were going to go on this journey to watch all the films watch all nine plus hours of the Lord of the Rings I want to know like how these characters wrap up they I mean they filmed more with Legolas and Gimli and they didn't show us their ending they could have <laughs> But I think that would have been pushing it too far because like those characters really aren't, especially here in this film, The Return of the King, they're not really that important. They're comedic relief more than anything. In the theatrical cut, at least. I think it's... I don't, the theatrical cut, it didn't seem as long as I remember the ending. Maybe I'm just more tolerant of it in my old age. and like. Maybe you're thinking of the extended version where I was done an hour and they're still talking to me and I'm like, please, let me go. I'm tired. Maybe. Yeah, I so. I honestly can't tell you the differences between the two anymore. At one point, I probably knew, but not anymore. The actual like ending of the film, basically, once the ring is destroyed, mm-hmm. the the films are basically the exact same. Oh, okay, so it wasn't that it wasn't that bad. I think it might have largely become a meme too. It just like got yeah, I think people just want to hate on the end of the, this film. Did everybody enjoy the battles here? I know because like, at least a lot of people who I talk to when they think of Lord of the Rings, especially this film and the Two Towers and Helm's Deep, they love the battles. Maybe it's because we watched the extended cut. I thought they were. I'm like, I just want these to be done. You're just dragging on forever. Uh, did you guys have that thought with the theatrical cut? Uh, I I don't like the fact that the final battle ended with the ghosts people showing up. I don't know. That just bothered me. It seemed kind of deus ex machina. It's just like, hey, you got a cool sword. Now we got this huge army to take care of our problem for us. I I agree with that as well. Just to call a spade a spade. uh, It's like that in the book. So, I mean, yes. Jack, actually, um, I saw while just doing a little bit of research so I can come talk about this film here. uh, Jackson wanted to cut the ghosts. Uh, because he agrees with you that having them come to save everybody at the end of the day is a cop-out. But he didn't want to betray uh, the, the source material. So it's it's how it is. I will tell you that I think my favorite battles in Two Towers at um, Helm's Deep. I think that one's my favorite battle of the Lord of the Rings. But for this third movie, it's almost like I liked pieces of it, but all of it was a lot if that makes sense. Because as John could tell you, my my favorite part is the one I remember the best is, you know, where she's taking off the helmet. She goes, I am no man. I ha- I literally quoted that, and Jonathan's just like, what? Where did that come from? What are you doing? And I'm just like, listen, this was ingrained in my memory. I love this part. Um, so, you know, I like... I oh God, I don't know what they're called. The, like, snake dragon guys. I love... A lot the, of the, the stuff Nazgul. with them. Yeah, the Nazgul and, and Witch King. Um, and the Witch King, I kind of like that little parts a lot too. And I was just like, okay, some of this I'm digging. Some of this is like, okay, let's hurry up. Come on. My favorite scene is the scene where Mary is singing his little song. And you have uh, Denethor. He's, he's eating those tomatoes to make it look like the blood's coming out of his mouth. It's a very moving scene back when I first saw that, that scene. No, 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 like, 
because it's heartbreaking. Like, like that is a heartbreaking scene to watch Faramir. Like, he's he knows that he's going off to his death. And he's still doing it because he's like, I want to make this one person in my life proud who apparently doesn't give two craps about me, but I am going to put my life on the line to make him proud. That is a very moving and touching scene. And heartbreaking. And just the song there, the visuals of it, like it, that is, for me, that's the, the highlight of this film. And for most people, I feel like that's not going to be it. It's going to be... The, the, the big battles and everything like that, but uh, not for me. Uh, I mean, I I personally love the the writers of Rohan to relieve the siege of Minas Tirith. The speech on top of the hill, the charge to break all of the orcs' ranks. It's just it, it that's see that right there. It shows them winning the battle almost. The elephants come in. They make a glorious cha- charge to go into these elephants, take huge losses, start making a comeback as they figure out how to fight these. And then right as it looks like they could potentially even turn that, that's when the ghosts show up. It's like, why why did that need to happen? They could have almost just held on a little bit and saved so many more lives without the ghosts. But just that charge beforehand and that speech beforehand, just the rallying call of being able to go into that is, is a uh, big moment for that movie. You, you needed something for Aragon to do. Because he doesn't... He's not... My issue with... Kind of like this film in general... And I guess looking at all of Lord of the Rings... As much as I absolutely adore, adore it... Most of the characters here are just so passive. They're not active characters. They're just waiting for this stuff to happen... And then they're going to figure out how to react to it. And it's just like, hey, right, cool... We're just all sitting here waiting for something to happen. That th- doesn't make for that engaging of a story at times. Don't they like openly admit though? All the other characters besides Sam and Frodo are just distractions to keep the eye off of Sam and Frodo. Especially the fight at the Black Gate. Oh, I mean, completely. Sure. That's yeah. the, the, the whole point there. But every time I watch this, because I, I go through like probably. Every about five years, I've gone back and rewatched the whole Lord of the Rings, and every time I watch it, I find myself rooting for one side of the Fellowship versus the other. Obviously, yes, Frodo's journey is the probably the most engaging because he has got the the thing that everybody wants. But there's other times when I'm like, oh, Aragorn's story is also kind of interesting. That's See like how this is all playing out. I don't, I don't know. I, I know Samantha. You originally had an issue with the opening of this film. Do you want to actually talk about why you had an opening issue with the opening? Because I think the I think the opening is actually really great, and I'm not sure why you didn't like the opening with the golem here. It just didn't feel like a hook to me. You know, like you want to open up on like a oh tell me more, and I just was like. Okay, I'm good. I don't need this. But isn't that interesting? I'm sorry. But isn't it because this is what could happen to Frodo? I mean, that was already clear to me. But you're actually watching the full transformation, how he could actively just go and kill Sam and be done with that. 
And then he's going to just go more and more mad, insane, and just evil. Mike, Adam, did you guys have any thoughts on the opening of the film? I will say it was very striking for me because I think I almost every single time I've ever watched this film, it's immediately following the two towers. So like I was very jarred just like from my memory of coming back into this film and seeing like, well, that opening, I was like, yeah, expected. And then it's just like, oh, look, the siege of Isengard is done. And I'm just like, wait, what? Hold on. Like, isn't that in this movie? And with the Ents and all that stuff. And I get a little confused there, I guess. But uh, uh, I think it's kind of interesting to give that kind of lore just to showcase where the ring has been and how it got to Gollum's possession and why he is now like a relevant character almost. Yeah, I, look, I, I, there's not that much I can really talk about with this film anymore. I think it's great. I think it's aged really well. There's nothing here. Like, the effects are all great. The set's obviously fantastic. The fact that they used a lot of practical effects when they could. This makes the Hobbit movies look worse and worse. Like, the further we get from those Hobbit films, they just look terrible and just... Hurtful to your heart for the people who love these Lord of the Rings films. Uh, look, obviously for me, Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King is a see it. Don't watch the theatrical. No, don't watch the theatrical. Don't watch the extended cut. Too long. If you're gonna watch the extended cut of any of them, you 100% should watch the extended cut of Fellowship of the Ring. After that, you can only you only have to watch the extent the theatrical cut. For Two Towers and Return of the King. But Return of the King here, see it. Even with the extended cut, while being too long, it's still, over for the most part, engaging. The battles are fun to watch. So, see it. Samantha? I find myself being almost lukewarm to this movie in the trilogy, but because it's the end of the trilogy, I feel like you need to see it in theaters out of respect for the other two. You know, finish off strong, see everything you can, see the action, get terrified of that horrible spider, all of that. And it does look good enough that did scare me quite a bit. Um, so yeah, see it. One quick thing I do want to point out. I do think that this is the weakest of all the films. And when I, when I think that the reason why I got Best Picture and everything like that... I think it was just a, hey, you accomplished it, you did it, you told the story. So all of the awards that it got are kind of retroactively, hey, this is for all of this, not just this film. At least that's how it's always felt to me. Uh, but anyway, uh, Mike, you're rating for Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Uh, I think you said it earlier, Jonathan, it's just a lot of big movie, The Lord of the Rings, so I just I see it. Like, if it was, if just this movie came out on its own, obviously it wouldn't be as good. Um, but, like, with Back to the Future, I consider that all just one big, long movie. Lord of the Rings is big, one big, long movie. Definitely see it, but it's been 20 years, so I'm sure if you wanted to see it, you would have seen it by now. But Are you telling me that you've never watched the animated Return of the King movie? <laughs> no. Okay, well, it did just come out as Return of the King. They made a Hobbit animated film and then the Return of the King animated film. 
really bizarre that they went with the beginning of the story and then the end of the story and just cut out all the middle. I remember watching it when I was younger and I don't remember all of it, but I remember parts. I will be completely <laughs> honest. I remember watching uh, that film because I, I checked it out from a, a family video store. Back when, you know, those still existed, you could go and you could check out movies and stuff like that from a physical store. And the, the there's a song called Frodo of the, the, of the Nine Fingers, No Younger Power. And just a bit about that song and watching the animated Gollum character gave me nightmares and just, like, honestly terrified me. But watching the actual live-action version of Gollum isn't terrifying to me. But watching the, the animated one, like, for some reason, like, it just unnerved me. And that song unnerved me. It was not like a... a I mean, Frodo of the Nine Fingers of the Ring of Power. It's about how he lost... His finger, which, I mean, he lost a lot more than his finger, but this is an animated, quote-unquote, kids film. It's not going to go about how this ring corrupt, like, corrupted him and, like, basically broke his soul. It's about how he lost his finger. But it's just... I don't, I, I, I don't recommend watching that animated film. Uh, but, uh, Adam, you're, uh, you're uh, rating here for Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Uh, I'll absolutely see it or stream it at this case because it's been out so long. Like, you just got to find a way to see it. I mean, honestly, potentially one of the easiest ways to see this movie is just tell your friends you haven't seen it at this point. Just there will be uh, a clamoring for you to see it from them and you won't be able to get away from it. So if you are still dead set on not seeing this movie, you better keep it a secret. I, I, I know... Like last year, we found out one of my friends didn't hadn't seen the movies yet. Somehow he had gotten uh, this far in life without seeing it. So we all got together, the, the nine of us. We sat down. We like had brunch. We had a bunch of movie snacks. And we just sat down and watched all three movies in one day. Made sure he sat down and watched it all. And now he's seen it. It's uh, Literally. So I didn't mean to interrupt you going. Sorry. No, no, that's it. I was gonna say you literally formed your own fellowship to watch movies. Oh, for sure. Nice. It was uh, it was part of our first D and D campaign. So we all had uh, recently picked out minis as well. So we all sat down and were painting minis and watching the Lord of the Rings. I think that's a great way to watch it. I mean, I don't know if it's like that far of a stretch to say that without Lord of the Rings, not the movies obviously, but that book, we wouldn't have things like Dungeons and Dragons. So think that watching Lord of the Rings and this latest D&D movie would also be a great pairing. A very long movie pairing, but still enjoyable probably nonetheless. We are going to play a clip here from Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and we'll be back on the other side to talk about our top five fantasy films. Feast on his flesh. I will kill you if you touch him. Do not come between the Nazgul and his prey.
every time now, when we look at a genre of film, last week we did action, this time, this week now it's fantasy, it becomes harder and harder to make these lists. Not because you can't come up with five, it's because you come up with 50. And you're like, I want all of these films to be represented on my top five list. Adam, this is the great part about having you on the show. Hopefully, we're going to get... 20 different films mentioned usually we don't usually obviously we have some crossover but hopefully we get some great films and the sad part about my list here i know usually i try to go for some like picks that are kind of out there scott pilgrim versus the world obviously is always gonna be my claim to fame for like top five video game movies putting that on there you have talked about Scott Pilgrim vs. the World so much the last two weeks. I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about that movie as much as I heard you talk about the last two weeks. That's because I, I, I need people to realize how fantastic it is. And maybe next time when I get to pick a film to watch, I'm going to pick Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So we're going to talk about it. But I think you guys at that point are just going to say to skip it so I can be stop talking about the film. But um, anyway... I feel like my list is very generic. So I feel like mine's like the intro 101 class. Hey, these are the things you have to watch. Nothing in here that's overly like challenging, but still pretty good all the same. Uh, I'm going to start off really quick, unless anyone has anything else they want to say about their lists and how they came up with it. I will say this. If yours is the intro list, then... I will say half of my half of my list is just completely out there. So, uh, I I I I potentially have some things that you have not heard of. I love that. I love. I mean, that's why I love these 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 top fives. It gives us everybody. It gives myself homework. It gives our listeners homework. It gives us all some things that we can go especially go and watch, especially if we like fantasy films. I didn't take fantasy in the. Like medieval sense, I took it as in, hey, this fantasy worlds, different landscapes, different cultures, different everything. I kind of maybe went too far into it here. We'll find out. But uh, my number five, I picked The Wizard of Oz. I mean, for me, this is what I was talking about when I'm like, hey, this is a film that everybody has seen. I don't know of a single person who hasn't seen The Wizard of Oz, but. It's so iconic, and it's actually a fantastic film. So, number five has to be The Wizard of Oz for me. Samantha, would you like to go with your number five? Sure. I would also like to say that Adam and I, outside of the podcast, had a lengthy discussion on what even defines fantasy. And we kind of generally came up with the idea of, A, if you can defend it, you're good, as well as it's mythical creatures, different worlds, different fantasy situations i mean it's it was hard to to narrow it down on a list of so many great fantasy movies number five i i decided i only wanted one disney movie on my top five because i feel like disney is is such a powerhouse of creating amazing fantasy movies that i was like okay just pick one and the one i had to pick of course is my favorite beauty and the beast how about adam goes next the, the bottom of my list is where some of these movies that people might not remember or might not have heard of come in. And so my number five 
for for pure cinematography and for viewing experience the the plot might not be the strongest or hold up but because this is a fantasy realm and you're able to now create the impossible i have the life of pi which i read before going to film and that was a stunningly gorgeous film as well as the thief and the cobbler aka the princess and the cobbler aka arabian night one of the longest uh films it's ever taken to be produced that one is animated and it just uses a brilliant amount of color and just how it's designed the plot uh it took like 30 some years to even be produced and because of that like the ending is kind of rushed and let me tell you, it doesn't make sense. I feel like I watched this movie quite a few different times as a child. And uh, I still don't actually fully, like, I read how the movie ends. I remember how the movie ends. And it still seems rushed and just, like, all of a sudden it happens. But just being able to sit back and watch this movie just unfold in front of you is a truly beautiful experience. And for, like, when they started making this and then even when it ended... Uh, how they were able to animate that was amazing. Life of Pi, a significantly more like, quote unquote, realistic film, but some of the shots in that film are just astounding. So those two, I felt like for their viewing pleasure, just to sit back and watch the film, not a lot is happening on the film to like keep track of. And that's what makes them uh, great. Are you telling us that they're tied for fifth? Oh, there's a lot of ties in my list, let me tell you. I, I feel I'm, like I, this is cheating. But now I don't feel so bad because I made a cheat on my own list. Oh, let me tell you. I cheated on every single entry of my list because I'm the guest. I didn't know the rules exactly. I didn't know how stringent you guys were. Jonathan didn't put you through orientation before you did this? <laughs> oh, no. Jeez. I, had a I was like, barely... I had a four-hour orientation and I, before I could go on air. Jeez. I... I was barely told how to record. Mike, your number five. My number five was going to be, actually, it was going to be like five movies that I watched one day on Amazon Prime when I was sick, and I literally just watched all five of them back to back to back, and I thought they were the most amazing things in the world. It might have been the 104 degree temperature I had, um, but I can't remember the titles anymore, and I can't Google them. Um, So my number five is now Jumanji. I love Jumanji. Uh, it's everything a movie should be. Fun. It's well acted. It tickles the imagination. It's great. Sure. I can respect it. Why not? <laughs> I what like do you mean, Jumanji. sure? Do you not like Jumanji? I mean, I like Jumanji, but is it like the it's best good. thing ever? No. Yes. Hey, be nice to Mike. I'm being yeah. nice. I'm just saying like... <laughs> Why are you being mean I, to me, Jonathan? I think, also- I think Jumanji in the same way I think of... Like the Mummy, how you love that Brandon Fraser the Mummy movie. I really do. I that movie is fantastic. Does that I count as fa- that does count as fantasy? Uh, I think. I mean, a mummy coming back to life. I can't imagine that happening right now. I'd say it's fantasy. I mean, the way things are going, I wouldn't be super surprised if a mummy came back to life. But I'd say so. I guess. I don't know. A mummy. I would a like clarification. I don't. I mean, it deals with magic. Also, mine's way stretches. The rest of my list stretches the fantasy definition a bit. So I'm going to go with, yes, The Mummy is a fantasy movie. Woohoo! I would like clarification on Jumanji. I can think of three Jumanji movies right now. Oh, the original Jumanji movie. Okay. I respect that, though, because, like, the one with The Rock is, like, those two are unexpectedly good. 
Oh yeah, no, I uh, when I first moved up to Minnesota, I was sitting around not knowing what was really going on. I was in a uh, temporary residency, and they gave me unlimited access to essentially every single streaming site out there, and even some sites I didn't even know existed, and I still haven't found since then. And I found the both those Jumanji movies not much going on at night, so I put them on. I, they were an enjoyable night. Right. I was like, this is going to be terrible. It's The Rock and Jack Black and like uh, uh, Kevin Hart. And I was like, this is not going to be great. And then it was amazing. And so was the second one. But I'm talking the Robin Williams one because you can't beat Robin Williams. Oh, no. Not at all. But wait. You're, you're not even respecting Karen Gillian? Oh, she'd be a reason to be good. I love Karen Gillian. Okay, you expected. Okay, I was just like, hold on. You you named the three guys that I was like, maybe not great, but then like, she was in there as well. You gotta remember. I was, I was those like especially I I do not like Kevin Hart. I'm gonna be super honest. Um, so like The Rock, I I appreciate he likes fun movies, but like adding those three together seemed like be terrible. My number four is yet again like another classic film. Talk about old time classic Hollywood. It's King Kong. Just a fantastic film. Skull Island. Then bringing him back to New York. Climbing the Empire State Building. Such iconic things happen in this film. The fight with the T-Rex is great. And once again, I am talking about the 1933 film here. Yes, the 2005 Peter Jackson film is good. But you can't beat that classic film. And I know Jackson tried, but he didn't get there. Number four, King Kong. My number four is The Corpse Bride. Uh, Singing zombies and skeletons do not read as real life to me, so I decided that it counts as a fantasy movie. I find it to be a very heartfelt and a fun little musical stop-motion movie that I absolutely adore. You're looking at me like you want me to talk. I'm waiting for you to say no. I don't love The Corpse Bride, but I don't think it's like a terrible film. Hey, Jonathan, uh, whose top five list is it? But that's... <laughs> that's why he wasn't saying anything. <laughs> it's not Jonathan's top five list. Adam, what is your number four? Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, so once again, a tie at number four for two uh, movies that came out right around the same time, both very realistic, but with a huge twist right in the center that firmly plant them in the fantasy realm for me, or at least some other outside fantasy spinoff, maybe realistic fiction or something like that. And that would be the Adjustment Bureau and Limitless. I don't know if I need to go into either of these movies but I thought the the spin on how your life has been affected because of the the plots behind both of these movies uh, are just so compelling to me. And uh, I find myself wondering what it would be like in either of these worlds if I had access to that kind of information and those kinds of potential. Limitless is the one with Bradley Cooper, right? Correct. Oh, yeah. I was making sure. The- the wonder drug where you unlock a hundred percent of your brain and then the adjustment bureau where uh everyone's uh, god after world war ii no longer believes in humanity's ability to have free will so now everyone is set on a path for life except for 
the two main characters that are destined to be together. So therefore, they spend the entire movie trying to break free from uh, God's grasp. Both great films, in my opinion. Who knows what the critics give it. Is the Adjustment Bureau based off of a Phil K. Dick movie? Or book? Short story. Short story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like those both. Yes, both came out in 2011. I thought I remember going essentially to a double feature of both of them because they were both in theaters right around the same time. Perfect. My number four is The Green Mile. Tom Hanks, uh, Sam... No. Yeah, Sam Rockwell. Uh, and everyone involved gave great performances. The uh, story's fantastic. That's one of the better Stephen King adaptations um, from book to film. I just really loved it overall. And it's I feel like no one really talks about it that much anymore. And people should definitely start watching again. What was the fantastical element in that movie? Um, the guy has magic powers. He literally okay. heals people or brings a rodent back to life and they all live starting long lives. Fair enough. I was imagining yeah. a different movie entirely. Uh, so that's why I was asking what the fantastical element was. What were you imagining? Uh, I, what was it? It was... Uh, I'll look it up and I'll get back to you. It's yeah. like a, a uh, like prison uh, death row movie. Yeah, we're probably talking about the same movie. Um, William or Michael Clark Duncan's on death row. Um, and you're not sure if he committed this crime or whatever. Uh, Tom Hanks is a prison guard. So is Sam Rockwell. And I, there's other people. I can't remember the names right now. Um, but during the course of the movie, you find out he has like he heals uh, urinary tract infection for Tom Hanks. He brings the mouse back to life. He does other things like that. He, I think he like shares, like visions with Tom Hanks too. If I remember right, it's been a little while to be honest, but yeah. It's been forever for me because I haven't finished the movie. Why not, Jonathan? Uh, it was one of those movies that I didn't know was like three hours long when I put it on. And I was like, oh, I have like an hour and a half. I'm like, oh, crap. I don't have, I'm halfway through. I don't have enough time to finish it. And I've just never gone back. I'm actually looking over right now and I don't think I own that movie. So. You should. It would be even longer now till I watch it. My number three is. I guess the cheat, the Lord of the Rings, all three of them have to be considered some of the best fantasy films of all time. Once again, as I mentioned earlier, without Lord of the Rings, the book, I don't think we'd have things like Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think we'd have a lot of other fantasy worlds that we've gotten. So Lord of the Rings has to be talked about has to be mentioned has to be I mean, you don't have to love it but you at least have to admire what it set out to do and i believe what it accomplished to do uh, so the lord of the rings is my number three pick my number three is kate and leopold it is a rom-com about a 19th century noble who accidentally ends up in current time and a romance develops and it's all about like him learning our world and what happens if he goes back and stuff like that. I love that movie. It's a good comfort movie. Adam, your number three. Uh, my number three movie will be 
the Pokemon movie. The original Pokemon movie. Mewtwo Strikes Back. Uh, honorary mentions for this series. I've also seen a couple other here, but Pokemon 2000, The Power of the One, and uh, The Spell of the Unknown, Pokemon 3. All three good movies. The original Pokemon movie, though, fantastic. Would watch it anytime it comes on. I know uh, there's been a couple like long road trips where I've had like with friends and someone will just like randomly have decided to brought that along and we will sit down and just enjoy it like no other. Mewtwo at the end of that movie with his quote about how uh, uh, Ash sacrifices himself to stop all of the fighting. It's just it gives me chills every time you hear it. Here's the thing. I actually have only seen this movie one time in my life. It was in the theater when it came out. This was back when they, you know, had film. And the film caught fire. Uh, it was burning. I actually don't know how the movie ends. So, uh, in my mind, all of the Pokemon are still either turned to stone or under Mewtwo's control. Or whatever was happening there. I honestly can't remember. Well, that's very depressing. We should fix that. Have a Pokemon movie marathon at some point? Yeah. Oh my god, are we going to watch Mewtwo Strikes Back for next week? Maybe. It's my choice, so Cut maybe back not. next week to find out. <laughs> Mike, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is Aladdin. Robin Williams again. Not the Will Smith one, even though I really like that one too. Uh, we talk about Aladdin a lot, I feel like, or we've talked about it before, so I won't say too much, but it's Aladdin, number three. That Will Smith one... Is was, an hour was too good. long. No. No. no Jonathan, you made me watch six hour long Justice League, so you're not you're not allowed to talk. I'm still not over that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you're not allowed to say movies are too long anymore. <laughs> My number two classic film. Once again, I don't know really anybody who hasn't seen this. Star Wars, just flat out Star Wars. A New Hope. I mean, it's it's been retitled now A New Hope, episode four. This film just sets up so much mythology, so much interest. The, the good, evil, Jedi, the, not Sith Lords at that time, but just those who used the dark side of the Force. And just such great storytelling. Taking all those... Uh, classic archetypes that you would find in sword and sandals like old fantasy stories and just giving them a new spin i think that this set up a whole new world of fantasy i know that some people are gonna be like no it's science fiction no it's not it is not there's nothing in star wars that is science fiction uh space travel jonathan I don't think that when I think pretty, of science, no. When, when I think of science fiction, I think of things like two thousand one and Space Odyssey, which yes does have space travel. That's in also it. space travel. Yeah, it's space travel, but it's asking those big questions about humanity. What here in Star Wars is asking about these big questions about humanity? Sci-fi is not questions about humanity. Not necessarily. I mean, there's different things sci-fi could tackle. I think like like hardcore science fiction opens up those doors and lets us talk about them. There's nothing in this film that does that. It's just not hard definition. science fiction. It could be soft science fiction. 
So my big question about science fiction is do people usually agree that science fiction is current or in like future times? Google's definition is fiction based on imagined future scientific or technological advances and major social environmental changes frequently portraying space or time travel or life on other planets. Okay, so that says future inventions, but if anyone recalls the opening scene of Star Wars, it says a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Gotcha. So this is in the past. <laughs> I mean, it's also a different galaxy, so that civilization is just more advanced than ours. But it is still yet. Time, time's a relative concept. Time's a relative concept. I'm just Time saying. is relative, but it's still relatively in the past. So it's, it can't be a future development. That's a very um, Milky Way galaxy-centered view of the universe, buddy. <laughs> um, in their galaxy, it would be relative to our future, or like our future, like blah blah. blah sorry, for their galaxy, the time that we're watching would be considered like the future for us. Like it's just more advanced there. They've had more time to develop than we've had. It really depends on. Uh how we're watching it is the light traveling across the universe because that could mean thousands and thousands and thousands of years go by but millions of years i don't know if i can argue anymore because i did put a time travel movie on my list so Think i will let it slide see, no, but but see your time travel movie is fantasy because time travel doesn't exist john's is fantasy because of all of the space travel and all of that stuff it's not science fiction because it's the past that's the pure sticking point for why it can't be science fiction. I've I never. I thought... very much disagree. Uh, if you want, I to also share... disagree though because you could have <laughs> s- cyberpunk science fiction taking place in the eighteen hundreds. If you want to share your thoughts, I'm going to put a poll up on the Facebook page, Phomology Show. Go vote if you think Star Wars is a fantasy film. It's going to be just that s- simple. You vote yes, or you vote no. We'll come back next week with the results of that poll. Guys, I'm 100%, like right here, 100% yes. And I'm 100% no. Aliens, space, technical advancements, I feel sci-fi. But uh, you will see that in my vote. I can't even believe that you're trying to tell me that's not a fantasy film. I really am shocked by that. It's no, come on! Like, are you kidding me? We can talk more about this. We'll talk more about this later. Samantha, you're number two. My number two is Stardust. Um, I've been recently telling a lot of my coworkers to go watch it if they haven't, and slowly it's been working. I'm turning the tide. Um, I absolutely love this movie. It's essentially a race for a fallen star with a bunch of different fantastical groups like there's some witches and there's kings and all sorts of fantasy elements included in this movie did you ever watch the animaniacs feature film wacko's wish yeah yes okay that i i quickly looked up stardust when Sam mentioned that, and it just—I just got huge animaniac vibes from reading the synopsis. So, excuse me. I—I I, I did love that film growing up. That's I mean, Wacko's Wish is a good like Christmas movie. You—you'll you'll have to explain it to her because I feel like she's insulted, but she is, and she's looking up the plot summary right now. I'm so confused. We'll 
also talk about this later. But so as people have kind of alluded before and has I have been cheating all night on my list, I just put the powerhouse that is Disney as my number two. I can't I can't I can't break them apart. Uh, if I tried to break them apart, as Sam mentioned earlier, there'd be uh, there'd be a flood of them up here in my top five. So I just thought I would generously put the entire franchise of Disney up in my number two slot. And I can't think of a bad one. Every single one is good. I remember when I got uh, into my later teenage years, I was like, I'm too old for Disney movies. I'm no longer a baby. And then like Frozen came out. And of course I went and saw it in theaters. Like it doesn't matter what it is. You'll see me at the theater enjoying a Disney movie, regardless of uh, how old I am, it seems. What I have to say to you, Adam, is... How could you take an entire franchise and only put it at number two? Because I have an even bigger franchise as number one. It's Star Wars. We all know that. Did you say Disney hasn't made a bad movie? I can't think of a bad one. (laughs) What? Maybe I just have accidentally skipped the bad ones. Who knows? Can't think of a bad... Okay, sure. All right. That's okay. I go, like, Disney... So I go, what? Like, Mulan, Hercules, The Little Mermaid, Frozen 1 and 2, uh, Tarzan, The Jungle Book, The Lion King, Shrek. No! (laughs) No! Bambi 2, the third Aladdin movie, was not great. The... Okay, so I think my problem here is I don't remember any of the sequels or series. It's probably for the best. I'm just like, notice I was like ones. Planes? One, Shrek one, Hercules one. Adam, Shrek is not Disney. Shrek is not Disney. It's not? No, it's DreamWorks. Wait, so, wait, I thought people like... Wasn't there people that were, like, working on the Lion King and then they were sent to, like, Shrek if they weren't, like, making Lion King good enough? Uh, I mean, they might have gone over to work on Shrek, but it's not because... I think it's called getting fired and having to get rehired by someone else. (laughs) Okay, maybe different parties. I don't know, man. I'm not good with these things. I don't know why I was invited here. I've broken every rule. (laughs) I mean, John likes to bend the rules rule, to his to will or to suit his needs all the time. Don't worry about it. Well, now I'm literally breaking like studio rules. We'll give you better instructions for the next time. Don't worry. I I, I feel like I had to throw that in there just as my personality of people have been trying to convince me what the difference between DreamWorks and Disney is my entire life, and I've still obviously never learned that it's something about one is two D animation, one's three D animation, and uh, that doesn't work for me, so. I think they're just different companies. Okay, <laughs> Mike, number two. My number two is Pleasantville, actually. I love Pleasantville. Has everyone seen Pleasantville? I have not. you never seen Pleasantville? Nope. Uh, Toby McGuire uh, is obsessed with a TV show from, like, the 1950s. It's, like, your typical Leave it to Beaver type thing, and he thinks life is better there. And so, uh, Magic TV Repairman gives him a remote that gets him and his sister, uh, Reese Witherspoon, sucked into the TV, so they live in Pleasantville. Uh, it has a lot of oppression and, uh, themes along those lines about, just things like that. And as the, as they free up the society and they get more 
progressive and less regressive, I guess. Uh, like, color starts coming into the world, and it's actually, it's really good. Really fantastic movie. I love Pleasantville. I completely forgot about that film and didn't put it, like, even on my honorable mentions, but I, I do love that film. I feel like the whole time we do top five lists, everyone's just judging everyone else, so I it's okay, just, just lean into it. My number one, Samantha, is going to completely judge. The Seventh Seal. This is, like, a film that's near perfection to me. It sent me into an existential crisis. It is just fantastic. I mean, even if you haven't seen this film, this is, like, what, 1957 Swedish film, you've seen elements of this film. I believe it's 1957. We had Samantha? Uh, 1957. 1957, okay. Thank you. Uh, the whole death playing chess with this knight from the Crusades. Darkly funny. Talking all about life and death. And that last shot, Samantha, it is still one of the most striking images I think I've ever seen. It haunts me. That last shot, still to this day, after we first watched this film, haunts me. And in my Ingrid Bergman box set, you open it and that's the shot. And so every time I want to watch a movie, I'm like, crap, I have to go through this whole internal process to watch this film. And it's making me sound sound like uh, this film isn't worth watching. It, it really is. It is... Such a fantastic film. Is it as entertaining as some of the other films on my list? No. When it comes to a whole cinematic experience, once again, about telling stories, about just looking in at yourself, I think that that, this film has everything like that. And it's a great fantasy film as well. Number one, The Seventh Seal. My number one is one of my all-time favorite movies. It is called Lady Hawk. I believe it's 1980s with the the heavy synthesizer. Oh my gosh. Synthesizer that's included in the movie. Um, It's essentially a plot about this pair of lovers who is cursed and they have to find a way to break the spell to be able to be together again. All right, Adam. Tell us the next giant franchise. Yes. So the franchise that beats out Disney in my mind is of course harry potter i cannot think of a more widespread global impact than that series has held uh, across the entire world i am not one to rewatch movies but i find myself every december sitting down in front of the tv with just abc family on watching rerun after rerun after rerun of harry potter uh abc just literally turns off their brain in December and just puts all the Harry Potter movies on loop. And my family, we just turn off our brains, leave the Harry Potter movies on loop on our house, and they're just running in the background. And you're able to sit down, watch a movie, get up, continue doing stuff, and you just know you'll come back and something will be... Some, one of the movies will be going on, and it's just like a mo- like an entire franchise that just never get tired of. Side point, how do you feel about Fantastic Beasts? I like the concept of this, but then you start watching them and it just, it's one of those things 
where I am one for like originality almost, which you just start seeing the derivative nature of it. Some of the elements just don't seem fully thought through and they're half baked. So I would say the first one's pretty good and then it just starts getting crazier and crazier from where it goes. Just having your own little thing was nice and then they just kind of created like World War One and was it? I think it was World War Two actually and it just was, it got too big for me. Fantastic Beasts, I would say the first one was good and then the next two, not that great. Uh, my number one is Big Fish. Uh, I think we watched it, so I won't say again ton of it but that's my number one uh love it it's fantastic ewan mcgregor the whole cast is fantastic as well but we did not watch it for any filmology shows i did watch it for a letterboxed scavenger hunt and i was disappointed so sorry mike no it's okay uh every time you tell me you don't like a movie that i like it like increases it in my mind so it's fine I thought this was gonna be like every time like I say a movie doesn't like an angel gets his wings or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) An angel gets his wings. That was actually so. Talking about honorable mentions really quick. It's a Wonderful Life was an honorable mention for me. Other honorable mentions that I had: uh, Mary Poppins, The Chronicles of Narnia, specifically The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, For me, I had Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire as an honorable mention. I had one of my all-time like I didn't. I have a ton of Disney movies that I was like, yes, this is great. I mean, I, I love Disney, obviously. I, I had Enchanted, which I think that was the one that really actually hurt me to not put on the list. I love Enchanted. I've been one of the biggest fans of that 2007 film. And the less we talk about the sequel, it somehow happened, the better. Original film is fantastic. And then I, I put uh, How to Train Your Dragon as an honorable mention. That's another one that really saddens me to not have on my list because that whole trilogy is fantastic. Yeah, honorable mentions from anyone else. I will tell you that it was really hard to narrow it down, so I just tried to not overthink it. Um, I will say I feel saddened that I didn't think of How to Train Your Dragon because that one's also really, really good. I had Shape of Water on mine. And then, to spite Jonathan, I have The Mummy and Aragon. And then I also want to mention Dora the Explorer. <laughs> Dora the Explorer and the Lost City of Gold? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. For what? Why? I that don't know. That is such a good movie. Did you say Aragon? E-R-A-G-O-N? That movie? Yes, I did, Mike. <laughs> that movie is awful. Samantha, <laughs> what did you do? I was going to attack her for that as well. <laughs> I but said, she... despite John, there's a reason. Also, oh, yeah, I that's love fine, the never dragon. Mind. As long as you're talking Jonathan. No, it's, it's terrible. It's <laughs> I also love the thing. dragon. No, the, the book is great. The book I... is okay. The books are okay. I mean, I only read that first book. I also only read the first book. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'll never go back and read them. And uh, The Mummy is the first Brendan Fraser one that we talked about a little bit ago. It had to be added real fast. The second one is also very good, though. I don't like the second one. I like the second one. I still think the first one's better. I agree. The third one, no. All right, Adam, you have more? Oh, I, I created a long list. I'm looking at it right now, and I found one thing on here, and I don't know how it's in my top five, and so now I'm looking at my top five trying to figure out, do I just drop Pokemon or, like... Because, so, Honorable Mentions is, no, Honorable Mentions is Space Jam, just The Matrix, Gattaca, The Giver, 
Princess Bride, which I'm surprised no one mentioned because of that cult following in of itself. And then the one that is supposed to be on my list, but I just don't know how to slide it in there, is uh, any Studio Ghibli movie. I don't know how I somehow was able to create my list in my good conscience without that being on there. Specifically, Howl's Moving Castle from that. Absolutely loves I absolutely love that story. Anything that comes out of that studio. I highly agree with you. For me, it's Princess Mononoke. That's the one that really hurts me to not have on the list. But most most of the films from that studio are just spectacular. Yeah, no, yeah, Princess Mononoke is another one for me. Howl's Moving Castle, Princess Mononoke, probably one and two, and then number three would be, like, My Neighbor Totoro, even. Like, they're just all uh, so good. I, I remember one summer, I literally just, like, went down the list of, like, future films of uh, Studio Ghibli and just, like, found them all and just would watch them, like, once a week just chewing through that list, trying to rewatch them and find any new ones I hadn't seen yet. I will tell you Howl's Moving Castle. Uh, John and I had a discussion about it, and it might be on one of my top fives upcoming on a different show, so I was like, okay, I'll wait. But that one is um, my favorite Studio Ghibli one, so I'm very proud of you, Adam. Yeah, and so that's where I'm just like, wait a second. I went through my list of honorable mentions, and I was like, wait a second. This is definitely... Definitely should be on this list. Mike, did you have any honorable mentions? No, I don't. I, If they were honorable, they would have made the list. I'm becoming a top five snob. Yeah, There's no sixth completely. place. They're all just losers at that point. Oh, my. I'm kind of surprised you didn't have any uh, Marvel movies on your list, John. I see you were going much more classic in terms of your fantasy, but even an honorable mention... Not honorable mention for that. I did have an honorable mention like on my long, long list for Wonder Woman. But I didn't have any Marvel on my list at all. It never was something that came up to, to me at all. If I was going to think maybe Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. But once again, that might be more in the sci-fi vein. But when I'm thinking about the fantasy films, I mean, like everyone else, these were the first things that popped into my mind. I'm like, wait, these are the ones that clearly stick out to me, that clearly have a big enough impact in my life, so these are the ones I'm going to go with. Next week, we're not looking at a genre of films, but we're looking at a medium of films. Look, Looking at a way in which stories are told. Next week, we're going to be looking at top five animated movies. In honor of the Super Mario Brothers movie. I am very excited for this film. Not like over the top, like so excited. Because usually when that happens, I get disappointed. So I'm kind of trying to caution myself a bit. But I'm very excited for Super Mario Brothers. I think it looks great. But the other thing in the back of my mind is this is done by Illumination. This is done by the people who have made me watch these Minions movies. And I'm so sick of these Minions movies. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for that. And then, Samantha, you get to pick the film for next week's show that's streaming. What are you picking? Where can we watch it? So, I decided that we're not done with Hugh Grant, and I would like to watch the rom-com Notting Hill it can be found on Netflix. And the fact that we didn't really talk about Hugh Grant that much. I'm not <laughs> done with him. 
He made that much of an impact on you from Dungeons and Dragons. It is possible that that's why I picked it, because I said, oh, let's just start looking at these actors, and I'm like, yes, that is the movie I wish to watch next. If you agree or disagree with any thoughts, comments, or just want to give us your opinion on any of these movies, you can always email us at filmologyshow at gmail.com. Make sure you go follow the Facebook page, which is Filmology Show. We're going to be having that poll up about is Star Wars a fantasy film? Make sure you guys vote yes. Yeah, because the person I think it's a sci-fi and fantasy film matched together. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I think that's it for this week's show. Once again, head over to filmologyshow.com where you can check out past written reviews all the way back to 2013. Past episodes of this podcast, past top fives, things of that nature, all over there at filmologyshow.com. Samantha, Mike, Adam, thank you all for joining me on this week's episode. Adam, thank you very much for bringing all of your Dungeons and Dragons knowledge. It was really helpful, and I think it made me enjoy that film even more than I already did. Uh, of course, thank you for having me. It was a great time. Yeah, we'll talk after to see if you'd like to come back next week for Super Mario. But uh, until then, until next week, guys, enjoy your weekend film. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a